All right, how we doing, Way? Nice, you guys are looking spry tonight. Everybody's looking amazing. Um, welcome, 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 welcome to our second week of a series that we have entitled The Blessings. The Blessings. If you weren't here last week, this entire series is about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Jesus' very first public speech that he is about to give, and he opens it up with this idea of what is true blessing. And in the Bible, the word that he used is, is this uh, Greek word makarios, and we don't have a word in the English language that is definitive enough to explain this word makarios. It is essentially a rich goodness, a rich happiness, a rich joy. And so we settle for the word blessing. And last week, Doug talked about, um, you know, blessed are, uh, are, are those who mourn. Blessed are those who uh, are poor in spirit, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful. But as he talked about last week, the way that Jesus describes blessing is much different from the world. The world uses hashtag bless when we take an Instagram shot of ourselves with our beach bod, Right? Or hashtag blessed when you get a picture of yourself at a photogenic location with palm trees. Or hashtag blessed when your puppy is the cutest puppy on Instagram. But the reality is, is that for every single person in here, every single person watching online, is that we don't necessarily always feel hashtag blessed even though we are making an appearance that it is so. That on the inside we feel hashtag thirsty. That on the inside we feel hashtag still unsatisfied. That on the inside we feel, uh, hashtag, still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, you are going to have to make some adjustments. And there is going to have to be a different way that you are going to have to look at this word blessing and at your life. And tonight I want to focus on this passage in the Beatitudes. Um, and it says this, Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You will be blessed in here. You will be hashtag blessed when you have a pure heart. When you have a pure heart, you will see God. And when you see God, many things will begin to unfold for you. It is pertinent, young adult, that you and I, that we see God. If we are going to live the lives that God has called us to live, if we are going to experience the life that God has for us, if we are going to be filled with joy, with peace, with power, with sufficiency, we must be seers of God. We don't need another sermon. We don't need another book. We don't need advice from friends. In order for us to experience this, we need to see God himself. And we need to truly see God to see his hand on our lives. And we need to truly see God in order to feel and experience him. We need to truly see God to know his heart for us. We need to truly see God so that we know that he is with us and for us and working in our lives. It is pertinent that we see God today. And so what does it mean then for us to have a pure heart? This word heart, John MacArthur defines as um, our innermost self. He says it is our truest nature, who you are, who I am when no one is looking. That is who we are in our hearts. 
Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, the heart I am speaking of is that mysterious, wonderful, confusing part of you that enables you to laugh, love, fear, and experience life. It is the sphere in which relationships happen. It is the sphere in which relationships are broken. And I believe, based on scriptures and every single uh, scripture that I have read, our hearts are the most vulnerable parts of ourselves, and they are the biggest motivators of ourselves. And I don't need to give you a theological statement about what your heart is because if I were to say something like this, we are going to get to the heart of the matter. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if I were to say he is losing heart or she has, um, she has lost her heart or she is faint of heart, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to tell any of you or describe theologically to any of you what it means to have a broken heart. All of us can relate with that. We know exactly what the heart is in that moment. The Bible says this about our hearts. It says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when you say something that you didn't mean and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, where did that come from? It came from your heart. John 14 says, I am leaving with you with a gift, peace and um, a peace of mind and heart. Peace I give is not that of the world. And so do not be troubled and do not be afraid. Proverbs 4 says this, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And above all of the things, the very first thing Jesus said about our hearts is he said, I want your heart to be pure, which is this word katharos. And a pure heart means to be clear, means to be clean. It means that you can see through it. That's how clear and pure and unblemished and unstained it is. And pure-hearted people, young adults, they are the best God-seers. And it is important that you and I see God's for our lives, but it is pertinent that you and I see God for other people's lives because when we see God, we can show God. And so tonight, we are going to talk about what it means to be pure of heart. I titled tonight, Hijacked Heart, Hijacked Heart. And so if you could answer this question for me before we uh, get into tonight. Last week, Doug asked you, are you happy? Tonight, I want to ask you, how's your heart? How's your heart tonight? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you. God, we give you permission to work in this space. God, I thank you so much for every single person that walked in here. God, that they walked in a certain way, God, but that you rearrange us from our insides to the outsides and that tonight we leave different in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that revival happens from the inside out. I thank you that change happens from the inside out. I thank you that what you want to do, what you want to accomplish is not going to come through circumstantial change, amen, but it is going to come from our hearts rearranging. Holy Spirit, thank you for tonight. We praise you. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so if you have lived here in Denver for a while, you probably know a cross-section. It is in Golden, Colorado. We got any Goldenites in here? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And they're in the front row. Um, it is in Golden, Colorado. It is um, on the cross streets there. Let's see. I think it's at Colfax and I-70. And it's right there um, at, the, at that intersection. And there's a giant sign. And it says, do not pick up hitchhikers. Do not pick up hitchhikers. And as a Christian, I'm being serious. As a Christian, I would drive by that. And I'd be like, well, that sign's just mean. Um, like, I don't normally pick up hitchhikers. I've thought about it, right? But, but as I'm driving by, I think to myself, like, these people are just looking for rides. They don't have cars. You do. Like, why be mean about it, right? 
and I'll be a Christian, and I'm driving, and maybe you guys feel this too, right? You go through, like, the, the, the back and forth with yourself where you, like, recite scriptures to yourself about why you should do something. And probably nine times out of ten, I would drive by, and there would be a man or a woman sitting there hitchhiking and trying to get on the highway. And I would talk to my, you know, I'd be like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. Like, if I picked him up, maybe they'd get saved. Um, and so, but I'm just, a, I'm tiny, you know, and I'm a girl, and I'm by myself, and so I don't know what to do. And, like, Lord, do I pick them up and be a Christian, or do I stay alive? Like, I'm just, I just don't know. And, um, and then, you know, and then, I'd, and then I'd say, God, I know, you know, that you say that we entertain angels when we, you know, give hospitality to strangers. And so maybe that's what I'm doing. Maybe this is actually an angel and you're testing me. Like, every time I drove by, right, I mean, this went on for years. And I never picked anybody up and I always felt guilty about it. Fast forward a couple years, and I'm getting lunch with a girlfriend, and we're hanging out, and we drive by this frontage road that is right next to this intersection. And as uh, we're driving by it, there is, you know, a chain link fence, and it's got some barbed wire up top, like all the way around it, and then it's got little houses behind it. And I'm like, girlfriend, what is that? And she's like, oh, that's a prison. And I'm like, oh, well, that fence isn't very high. And she's like, yeah, it's low security. You know, they just got the barbed wire. It's basically like people that have robbed houses and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, yeah, that's why that sign over there says, do not pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you told me that. Um, because I almost have, like, nine times. And she's like, Jess, are you kidding? She's like, they would hijack your car. And it was one of those moments where I realized, like, oh, my gosh, like, this person or these people, like, they might just be hippies and, you know, go into the mountains, or they could be a desert slasher, and I just don't know, right? And so, <laughs> and so, and they could have, they could have hijacked me. They could have hijacked my car. And this, this experience or this, this uh, practice of hijacking is basically where someone takes something that is not theirs, that they do not own, but then they get in it and they drive it as if it were, as if it belonged to them, as if they did own it, and then they would take it to the destination that they please. In Wikipedia, it says this, hijack is to illegally seize an aircraft ship or vehicle in transit and force it to go to a different destination. That's what I want you to hear tonight. A different destination or use it for its own purposes. So they took something that wasn't theirs and then drove it as if it was. Most of you remember September 11, 2001, four airplanes were hijacked. American airplanes, two were driven, driven into the World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon, one crashed. And it was people taking something that wasn't theirs and taking it into a completely different destination. And your heart and our hearts, my heart, it belongs to you. You are the owner of your heart. And yet, what I believe Scripture makes clear is that it is possible for something to come in and take over your heart and drive it as if it belonged to that thing. Amen? God says this about our hearts. He says he wants our hearts to be full of trust, 
Proverbs 3, 5. He says he wants us to give uh, him the entirety of our hearts. That's in Proverbs uh, 23. He wants to be the strength of our hearts. That's from the Psalms. He doesn't want our hearts to be troubled or afraid. And probably the most important thing that I think God wants our hearts to be, the direction that God has for your heart and for my heart is this, that it would be pure and that it would be alive. In the book of Ezekiel, God is writing to his people, the Israelites, and he says this. He says, I will give you a new heart. This is Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and you will move to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. God says, I will give you a heart that will want to follow after me. I'm going to give you a heart that is going to long to follow after my statutes. And then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. In Ezekiel, the Israelites at this point, they had become stubborn. They had become self-willed. They had become stone-hearted. And I don't think I need to describe to any person in here tonight what it means or what it feels like to have a heart that is hard as a rock. And God says, I'm going to come in. I'm going to scoop out your heart of stone. And I am going to give you something alive and plush and full of life and soft and tender and pure I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and that's exactly what he does and this verse it is a prophecy it is also mentioned in the book of Isaiah about what Christ came to do and what he accomplished and what happened to you the moment that you got saved the moment that you got saved Jesus came down and he scooped out your dead heart and my dead heart And he gave us a heart of flesh. And he said, there now, you're mine. Follow after my statutes. Run hard after my direction. Pursue me with everything that you've got because you are pure of heart. I've given you everything you need. And he said, with this, there are so many wonderful attributes. And I want to describe some attributes of a pure-hearted person to you tonight. And the first thing is this. You are whole-hearted when you are pure-hearted. When you are pure-hearted, you have your whole heart. Um, This purity, it is also related in the Bible to the word integrity. And we get the word integrity from the word integer. And for all of you mind students and math nerds in here, what is an integer? It's a whole number. It's fine. Sweet, guys. You've got, like, finals in two weeks. Step it up. Please, man. It is a whole number. It is not a fraction It is not a decimal. And God says, when I come in and I give you a heart, it is not a half heart. It is a whole heart. Earlier in Ezekiel 11, he said, I came that I would give you an undivided heart. There are no divisions. There are no fragments. There are no fractures. It's pure and it's whole. The second thing is that it is an authentic heart, meaning that who you are when you're here at YA is the same person that you are at home, is the same person that you are with your friends. I'm the same person to my husband that I am to my kids and I am off stage. It does not matter. I am the same. I am authentic and when we read in the Bible, God says, um, people, 
They look at the outward appearances. They look at looks. They're looking at people's Instagram feeds and people's websites and people's, you know, posts about themselves. They look at the looks. He says, I don't do that. I know exactly what's going on on the inside of you. I look behind the screens and I know what's authentic and I know what's not. Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, they would write plays that would be be performed in front of um, Grecians. And it would be one man that would play all the roles. And he would come out with a mask and he would be an old man. And then he'd leave and he'd come back out and he'd put on a mask and he would be a young woman. And then he'd leave and he'd come out and he would put on the the face of a child. And then he would leave. And the name of this actor was uh, Hippocritos, which is where we get the name hypocrite. God says, I give you a heart that is authentic. You are pure. You are undefiled in front of everyone. You are the same person. There is an integrity upon your life. And the last thing, or the last thing that I think uh, pure-hearted people, the, the benefit of being a pure-hearted person is you have unmixed motivations, that you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, that you pursue Jesus because you want to, You have an unmixed motivation. And I think every single person in here at certain points in time has felt a pure heartedness. If you haven't, maybe just take a look at a baby Christian. Baby Christians, you meet them and you're like, oh, hey, man, did you get saved? I heard you got saved. And they're like, yes. Do you know Jesus? I'd love to tell you about Jesus. And you're like, oh, no, man, good, I'm good. I got saved a little bit ago. And they're like, oh, well, that's great. Um, so I've been reading this book. I have no idea yet what tithing means, but I'm really excited to try it. Um, and, uh, and, oh, my gosh, I just met this guy over here. His name's Bob. He doesn't know Jesus either. And um, I, I invited him to church, and it's going to be great. And I don't, you know, I don't know all these people, but I love all these people. And, I mean, really, there, there's this naivete and this purity to when God initially scoops out your heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. But then over time, life happens, doesn't it? And hurt happens, and frustration happens, and fragmenting happens, and things try to come in and hijack what God has given you, what you rightfully own, what belongs to you. And so tonight what I want to talk about for a little bit is the things, according to scripture, that I believe God says are the biggest um, things that have come to hijack your heart. And the first thing is this. We have comparison or we struggle with a comparative heart. A comparative heart is a hijacked heart. Comparison is where we measure our lives, and um, not by what God says about us, but how we stack up to everyone else around us. We use them as benchmarks for success, and that is what we base our validation on. And so you might have come in here tonight, and you um, have a little bit of wit, and you have a little bit of smarts, and you have a little bit of wealth, and you have a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe charm, but it's all about getting, as Andy Stanley says, more er. You want more er, you want to be smart er, you want to be wealthy er, you want to be handsome er, you want to be fit er, like you, you want more er. And eventually what's going to happen for every single one of us in here is if you are a comparative heart and if you allow comparison to rule in your heart is you are going to look around and eventually you will find someone with more er than you. Someone who is smarter, funnier, prettier, wealthier. 
And as Andy Stanley says, when it comes to the comparison game, nobody wins. There is no win in comparison. The very first time that we hear about comparison and someone struggling with comparison in their hearts happens at almost chapter, you know, whatever, like five of the, of the book of Genesis. It's like sin enters and boom, there's comparison. You guys know about Adam. You guys know about Eve. They have two children. The firstborn is named Cain. The secondborn is a young man named Abel. And God comes to them. This is two different men, mind you with two different directions in their life, two different destinies, two different genetic makeups that God himself has made. And he comes to them and he says, I have a specific destiny for you, Cain, and you are going to work the soil. And he comes to Abel and he says, I have a specific destiny for you, Abel, and you are going to work um, the, the flocks. And it's almost as if when I read this the very first time as a baby Christian, I was like, oh, oh hold up. <laughs> Cain's going to be mad, you know. <laughs> like, it wasn't even hard to see. Like, I picture him being like, oh, for real? Like, vegetables? Like, God, did you think he was, like, manlier than me? That I couldn't handle a flock? Did you think that maybe that, like, he could fight off bears better than me? Is that what you thought, God? And this is what comparison does, is it makes us doubt God's plans for our lives. And his intentions towards our heart. That's what comparison does. The Bible tells us that Cain and Abel, they grew up and they uh, pursued what God had have them pursuing. And eventually they brought their first fruits at one point to God. And Abel brought, um, you know, his first fruits and Cain brought his first fruits and presented it before the Lord. And the Lord found favor. And what that simply means is blessing. He blessed Abel's offering. And he didn't bless who am I preaching to tonight? And he didn't bless Cain's offering. He blessed someone else's work. And he didn't bless Cain's work. And comparison was already in there, making its home, and Cain could not handle it. He could not take it. And so comparison got in the driver's seat. It was like, boom, got you, sucker. It's my car now. When comparison takes hold of our hearts, it becomes a full-blown thing called envy. It takes root and it takes over. And the Bible says this about envy. It says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find uh, disorder in every evil practice. If you struggle with jealousy tonight, and that's all of us in here. If you struggle with envy tonight, and that's probably all of us in here, then let me just say this to you. This type of disorder in your heart, it leads to all kinds of evil. Is what the Bible says. Envy is costly. It will cost us our relationships. When uh, Cain left, he let envy take over, and he immediately uh, said, you know, Abel, I want to go out into the fields with you, and he actually killed his little brother. And the Bible says this about jealousy, about envy in our hearts. James 4, it says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Envy costs us our relationships, and we might not attack our brother or attack our sister, but we attack them in our hearts. It costs us our confidence. Envy is deadly for our hearts this way. Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Confidence is what we get when God chooses us. Confidence is what I get and what you get when God gives us a new heart. We are pure of heart. We have nothing to fear. 
We love God. We love people. What do we have to fear? But the moment that comparison comes in, you can almost see a lack of peace enter into someone, and that person loses their confidence, and they lose their edge, and they can no longer perform. It will cost you your confidence when you compare. And lastly, it will cost you your calling. After this, um, Cain obviously was already doubting God's plan for his life, but then God spoke to him, and he's like, why did you do that? Why were you so downcast? Why were you so frustrated? And so he said, Cain, you need to go. And after that, the Bible said that Cain was a wanderer. And I believe that comparing people, people who constantly compare, they are constantly wandering. They are constantly unfocused on their own calling because they are too busy looking at other people's. And in the Bible, in Hebrews 12, he says, um, set your sights on Jesus as you run your race. And the picture there is um, of racing horses where they would have blinders on their eyes and they wouldn't right, look to their right and they wouldn't look to their left. They were focused on Christ and what he had them to do. But if not, if comparison enters, you become a wanderer, a wanderer. The comparison trap puts envy in the driver's seat of our hearts and suddenly we are off course, aren't we? The comparison can lead to envy, and suddenly we are off course. It can hijack your heart. The second thing is this, the offended heart. Of all the things that can hijack our hearts, offense is probably the number one thing. And I don't know any of you in this room. I don't know you in the back. I don't know you watching online. I don't know um, some of you over here. I know some of you, but what I can say about all of you is this, is that in the last month, in the last 31 days, probably someone has offended you because you all have driver's licenses. <laughs> I was driving the other day, and I live in kind of suburbia, and so there's like roundabouts, which is like suburban, and I'm not sure. But it's like, let's just, I don't know, I hate it. So... So I'm, and I don't know why this happened. I don't know what this dude was thinking, but for whatever reason, he thought the roundabout would be like a good time to cut me off. And when you're like, are just pulling out of your neighborhood, you're like, dude, you could be my neighbor. Like, what's your issue, right? And so I, I'm like instantly offended and instantly frustrated. And so I'm like, I'm gonna follow him, right? <laughs> and so, guys, so many issues. Um, and so I do. I do follow him, and I follow him, and he's cutting other people off, and he's like a migratory weaver bird, like in and out of traffic, right, and I'm just like, this dude's a mess up, like, I got to show him my business, like, let's go, you know, and whatever, I'm like 120 pounds, what am I going to do, I have no idea, right, and so, so I follow him all the way to a stoplight, and we're stopped there, and I'm like, I'm going to get out, and I'm like, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, I'm like, I'm going to hit his window, and give him a thumb, right, and then all of a sudden, I realize where I am, and I had exited at his exit instead of my exit. The offender had led me to where he was going. Amen? And this is what happens in our lives. We get hurt. We get pained. We get wounded. And then the offender leads you to where he wants you to go. The offense leads your heart. And in Psalm 101, God says this. He says, just because bad-hearted people are around you, don't let their bad hearts cling to your heart. Just because people are cynical, just because people are negative, you don't have to be. 
Just because people are false-hearted, just because people are, you know, um, are, are unpure in their motives, that doesn't mean you have to be. Don't let their, far, uh, their fart. Wow. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Jesus. Don't let their flatulence lead your flatulence. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Somebody said preach. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. <sighs> I can't. All right. So, so just like a comparative heart can lead to envy, in the same way and, and, and a hurt, an offended heart can lead to bitterness. And this is what the Bible says about bitterness. It says this in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is what the Bible is saying. If bitterness gets in there, it will take root, it will grow, and it will take over your whole garden. It'll, it'll amass everything. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul is giving directives to people who have been hurt. And he says, if people are there and they are defiling themselves or they are disorderly, he says, withdraw from them. We need to withdraw from people that don't line up with our destiny. We need to withdraw from people that are constantly wounding us. They do not have a right nor a place to take ownership over our hearts unless you let them. No matter what people say or how people treat you or what has been done with you, you do not have to live with a wounded and an offended heart. We will be offended. We do not have to live offended. Why allow someone else's wrong heart to hurt you? No mature Christian in here who has been seasoned by the word of God has any reason to live their life offended. That's just not how God has guided us. Offense can hijack your heart. It can hijack your heart. And the, the last thing or the last thing that hijacks our heart is this, disappointment or the disappointed heart. Nothing stings in this lifetime like failure or setback or disappointment. Where you thought something was going to come through and it didn't. Where you thought God was going to come through and he didn't. Nothing hurts so bad. And God says this about disappointment in Proverbs. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so while the other places lead to bitterness or they lead to envy, this one is a monster because it leads to hopelessness. When I was a psych major, we learned about this phrase called um, learned helplessness. And they did a case study of elephants in the circuses in the 1950s and 1960s. And um, they would take these wild elephants and they would basically train them. And how they would train them it's kind of awful, is they would chain them to a, a giant stake in the ground and the animal would just try to fight um, its way to freedom. But eventually, it would give up and they would accept that this is their lot now in life. And so then all that the circus master would have to do is put a tiny chain around their ankle and they would believe that they couldn't get away. It was a learned helplessness. And for you and for uh, me as Christians, the, the absolutely detrimental thing, the absolutely horrific thing that can happen to our hearts is a learned hopelessness. 
I learned hopelessness where we do not expect God to come through, even though that's his truest nature and his truest character. We don't expect God to do more because we've been let down in the past. He couldn't possibly lead us into new ventures because we've seen too many negative things. He couldn't possibly make us a new path because look at where we've come from. And God says, my goodness, look at your heart. I have given you the heart of an overcomer, and you are overcome. I have given you a heart that in Christ is supposed to be ruled by peace, and you are ruled by your circumstances. I have given you a heart that is courageous and encouraged at any given point in time, and you are, dis you are discouraged. And if that's you in here tonight, let me just say, I have been there before. There has been nothing that has threatened my life and my ministry more than discouragement and failure. But God says this, I have more for you. I have more for your heart. I have a plan for your heart if you would but just listen to me. And so how is your heart tonight, church? How's your heart? How's your heart? This week I was, I was thinking about um, the, verse in, uh, the verses in Psalm 119. And if you read Psalm 119, uh, the entire thing is about God's word and God's decrees, and God's covenant, and God's ways. And it's like, how sweet are your ways, Lord? How good are your ways? How pure are your ways? I love to walk after them. And there's this beautiful pure-heartedness all throughout that psalm. It says this, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep with his statutes and seek him with all of their hearts and do no wrong, but follow his ways. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. Isn't it beautiful? God, I will follow after you. You will quicken my heart because you gave me my heart. My heart is naturally inclined. Do you know that? Do you know that if you are in Christ, your heart is naturally inclined to follow the statutes of God? When you sin, you are acting against your truest nature. When you sin, you're not saying, oh, this is who I'm, I really am. Jesus is like, false. That is the exact opposite of who you really are. Our hearts are inclined to follow after him. And then he says this about how we turn our hearts back to him. Psalm 119, 35, direct me in the path of your commandments for I find delight there. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. He says, incline my heart. Turn my heart back to the heavens. Incline my heart back to you. And we cannot in this lifetime control what will happen to us. We cannot control what people will say. We cannot control what people will do. But we have an obligation to steward what God has given us. In Proverbs 25, God says, I have given you a spirit to rule over. And I have given you a heart to rule over. And if you do not rule over it, you will be like a city with its walls torn down. You will be like a car with its doors wide open, like, get on in and drive me, man. I own it, but you can have it. Like, that is exactly what we are saying to hitchhikers in our lives, to hijackers in our lives, to the disappointments, to the offenses, to the problems. We are saying, drive my heart, drive my life. And he said, it is your job to incline your heart back to me. 
It is your job to drive your heart back to me. It is your job to turn your ear back to me, incline your heart, and we will either steward our heart towards heaven or we will neglect our heart and experience hell. That is what he is saying in this scripture. He's saying, don't you want it tonight? Don't you want a pure heart? Can't you see it? Can't you see the goodness of it? Incline your heart there. And I think there are a couple of things that we can do immediately tonight to boot the hijacker out of our heart. And the first thing is this, we don't let them on in the first place. <laughs> Do not pick up high hitchhikers. I was like, oh, okay, like I can read, it's fine, right? Like when, when trouble comes your way, when offense comes your way, Proverbs says this, it says above all else, guard your heart for everything of your life flows out of it. Another uh, translation says, the course of your life comes out of your heart. Hijacker can't get in if your doors are locked. Those nasty, defiled words can't get into your heart if you don't let them. The Bible says a wise man lets an offense pass him by. And in my lifetime, you have no idea how many times that verse has popped up and I'm like, I'm gonna just let that slide. No big deal. That was super rude. But I'm gonna let, let your hurt affect my heart. Amen. There might be disappointment, but it won't overtake you. There might be fear in your life. You might experience fear, but fear will not have you. You might have disappointment, but disappointment will not have you if you lock your doors. And I'm not saying hole up your heart. I'm not saying wall up your heart because what? That is stone. I am saying guard it. Have wisdom. Push them out. If the hijacker already got in, push him out. And I was thinking about it this week. I'm like, oh, I would never be able to push anyone out of my car. I'd be like, get, get, get out, right? But then I was thinking about who I am and who you are in our spirit, who we are in our spirit, and we are essentially the Hulk. <laughs> we are. Whether you believe it or not, we are walking onto the field and literally it's just like, oh, seriously, like I can push anything out of here in your spirit. And so tonight, if you are dealing with comparison, if you are dealing with envy, you need to start talking about yourself the way that God talks about yourself, that he knitted you together in your father's womb that he knew you before he even formed you there, that he set you apart and uh, created you to be a prophet to people, that he likes you, that he likes your calling, that you don't need to look around at everyone else and try to be like everyone else. Like the One Tree Hill song goes, I don't wanna be anyone other than a prison guard son. I don't wanna be anyone other than, you know, uh, this lady's son. I don't wanna be anyone other than what I'm trying to be lately, right? Like, this is what he's saying. This is what we're saying. Push comparison out by agreeing that what God made in you is good and like it, because he does. Disappointment, if hopelessness comes in and um, gets pushed into your heart, you push it back out by God's word. That in Christ, that, that there is uh, no promise, there is no word from God that returns void. That every single promise of God still stands and that in Christ Jesus, every promise of God is yes and amen. That I am crushed, but I'm not struck down. That I am not done yet. That even though I have experienced hurt, there is still more left for me yet. 
that failure does not have to be final until I say so, and I'm not saying so. Offense, we push it out by realizing that people will let us down, but God never will. By realizing that people mistreat us out of their own fractured hearts and that we slay that giant by forgiving them. Some of you in here tonight, you have suffered deeply. And as I was praying for you tonight, you have suffered deeply. And God sees you, God knows you, and he still wants you to forgive them. Because listen to me, they are driving your heart if you don't. And it's your heart. And I want, I want to say this tonight, because I believe that there's some of you in here tonight, and you need to know this, that God says it does not matter what you've done in your past, what happened in your past is past, and he has so much more for you in your future, and you need to push it out. He has so much more for you. He has so much expectation for you that what happened to you in the past does not have to define your future. Just because someone couldn't see your value does not mean they get to define your worth for the rest of your life. And so if you are in here and you have been wounded, you push out offense and say, my heart's worth it, and I forgive you. And listen to me, here's what forgiveness is. It is Jesus taking on their offense. It is Jesus taking on everything that they did to you and dying on a cross for it. There's no longer a need for your heart to be offended. And the last thing is this, if you can't shut them out, if you can't push them out, then you expose it to the authorities. You expose it to God himself. And so if you walked in here tonight and you've got a stone heart, you've got a cold heart, you've got a weak heart, you've got a hurting heart, this is what the psalmist said. This is what David said after he uh, made some of the worst choices of his life. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes the only way to get a hijacker out of your heart is to expose it to the only authority capable of drawing it out of your heart. And so if everybody would stand tonight. <clears throat> um, I was praying about whether or not to tell this story, and so I'm just going to keep it brief. But for me, I've experienced probably two times in my life um, where God has re-exposed my heart. And one of the biggest times and the most time I've ever felt the purest heart in my life was a few years ago. And um, I was in college, and I got brought into an office, and basically um, I got called out on some behavior in my life. It wasn't big, it wasn't honestly even sinful, to be honest with you. Um, but leading up to that point, I had spent the summer in Nepal and I was supposed to be doing a mission trip and I was so heavy hearted and I was so hard hearted. And I remember thinking like, I don't know God where you are. I don't know who you are anymore. And I remember thinking, I'm supposed to tell all these Nepali people about you and I do not believe it. And I remember laying in bed and being like, God, I need you to show up. Tonight, I'm not going to fall asleep until you show up. You have to do it tonight. And I remember I would fall asleep. And then I'd wake up even more bitter than the day before. And when this woman called me in her office, um, something supernatural happened within me. And it wasn't just like a friend was calling me out or a boss was calling me out. I saw my heart. And it was bitter at God. It was bitter for, for what I couldn't feel and what I couldn't hear and what I couldn't sense. 
And I went home and I repented for like three days and cried. My mom must have thought I was crazy. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. It was, it was like these hot supernatural tears for days. God, I'm so sorry, my heart. And it wasn't, I wasn't repenting for sin. I wasn't repenting for things that I did. I was repenting for my very heart. And some of you in here tonight, this is you. And it came back to this woman who was going to give me, um, give me a job potentially or not based on what she thought of my heart. And I just looked at her and I said, look, I want to do everything that Jesus wants me to do now. And I mean it from the bottom of me. And I don't want to do anything he doesn't want me to do. And that season, young adult, was one of the most beautiful seasons after that of my life. It was where he called me into ministry. It was where I could see him and smell him and taste him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I want to tell you tonight that your next glory is not going to come out of your gifting. It is going to come out of the position of your heart. Your next season is not going to come out of some manufactured circumstance. It is going to come out of you seeing God for who he truly is. And so with every head bowed, God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for this worship service. God, I pray that every single person in here, that they would evaluate their hearts before you. God, search our hearts, test our anxious ways, and lead us in the path everlasting. God, I pray over every single person that is wounded in here that you would bind them up. I pray over every single person uh, that thinks that you are done with them, God, that you would let them know to push out that hijacker because you have places that you want them to go. You have things that they have not seen yet. You have places that they have have not been yet and blessed are they when they are pure in heart because they will see it all in Jesus name and everybody said amen